Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale May 18th, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Yeah, we are embarking on the next 200 episodes of our wonderful podcast, as last week was episode 200, so naturally we are 201. How do you feel? 201. Big number, big event. Mm-hmm. Um, not as big as 200, but you know, still kind of close. I'm still I mean, feeling the, the no, 200 no, te- vibes. Te- technically, 201 is bigger no, than 200. No, but like, the event isn't as big. Fair enough. This is the official Marvel podcast of Marvel Comics, where we tell you about all the new Marvel Comics on sale every week. We give out our picks of the week, the books that we are most excited about, as well as throwing out some awards for the rest of the books that are out this week. And I'm big spoiler alert right now. There are 20 new issues on sale this week so we got a lot to talk about then we're also going to get into marvel unlimited including the new infinity comics those are the vertical scrolling comics available exclusively on marvel unlimited all the other books hitting mu all the collections on sale this week and on top of all that we also have a reading club who is our guest and what are we talking about this week we are talking to Matt Forbeck, who is the writer and designer of the Marvel Multiverse RPG playtest rulebook, um, which is really fun. I've been delving into that real deep, just trying to get friends to try to play with me. So if anybody out there wants to play, hit me up. But we aren't talking about that with him. For the Reading Club, we're talking about the death of Captain Marvel, which is mm. a doozy. Mm. But I'm really excited to talk about it in this week's episode. So let's rapid fire these these books as we make our way to the reading club today. Yes, indeedy. We got a lot to get through this episode. So let's dive right into our picks of the week, starting with my first pick of the week, New Mutants 25. And this one is so friggin' good. First up, great covers. Uh, We've got a a wonderful Laniel U cover featuring magic. But then you got a whole bunch of covers featuring um, Madeline Pryor and... Her impossible costume, the sexiest costume in the world, the most ridiculous, amazing costume. The physics of it make no sense to me, but I'm here for it. But there's a cover by Philip Tan in here, which I thought was super cool. It it sort of merges the character of Madeline mm-hmm. with the characters of the New Mutants and um, touches on Magic's history and some. There's just there's a lot of storytelling done in that cover, which I thought was absolutely terrific. But we're talking about Madeline Pryor. We're talking about Magic, a.k.a. Ilyana Rasputin. And so we dive into this issue and it opens up in um, in Limbo, which if you are a fan of Ilyana Rasputin, a.k.a. Magic, you know that this is an important place for her, a horrible place for her, um, mm-hmm. a place that she rules over. And we see the character of Sim, the big purple demon dude who I just love. One of my favorite things about Sim, he just wears a vest. He's mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'm going to look good in this vest. It's a snazzy vest. Like, you know, he, it's probably like high quality leather, but it's also limbo. So it's probably like demon leather or like human soul leather. Yeah, for sure. Um, we got a character that looks like Belasco in shadow in there. All kinds of stuff going on. Uh, and this issue is brought to us by Vita Ayala. Art on the main story by Rod Reese uh, with some cool flashbacks by Jan Dersima. Colors by Ruth Redman on those flashbacks. And VC's Travis Lanham doing the lettering and production. So this is super duper cool. We have these storybook mm-hmm. pages throughout, which tell the story of this goblin going through a journey. And it is obviously a, a an allegory for what has happened with magic uh, throughout time. So this one is a very magic focused story. Um, we've got her training with members of the New Mutants, Wolfsbane, and uh, Danny Moonstar, and them going back to Limbo because Ilyana's making a big decision. She's like, you know what? I'm the queen. I'm going to give my crown to a different queen, mm-hmm. the Goblin Queen. So it's a huge, crazy story where Ilyana wants to give the power over Limbo to a newly resurrected Madeline Pryor, who, if you have never read Inferno, or the the stories that lead up to that, where um, she's a clone of Jean Grey and she was twisted and manipulated into doing some horrible stuff. And unfortunately, hitting the kind of tropey stuff of woman be crazy and woman destroy. But like Madeline rules and she got dealt a bad hand. And yeah, 
we also get in here in these flashbacks a summation of some sort of the Magic Limited series, a, a callback to mm-hmm. the classic Magic Limited series, which we did a pull list uh, reading club with Leah Williams, wonderful writer of X Factor and many other books. We did that two years ago. No, it hasn't been two years ago. No way. Is it maybe it was, a year ago? I was still in my old office. So that's a year, wow. at least a year and a half ago. All right. We'll have to drop the link in the show notes for folks to listen. Yeah. So there's a lot going on here. It is a beautiful issue, full of heartbreak, full of revelations, full of big action, full of great character beats. Rod is someone we've talked about a ton over the last couple of years for the work he does with these characters, hitting emotion, hitting action, but doing it in a way that does not look like any other title out there. And Vita continues to just shine so brightly with the stories that they're creating and um, everything that's been going on. So love it. All right. Another book that I really love and is my pick of the week this week is Immortal X-Men number two. And it's written by Kieran Gillen with art by Lucas Wernick, colors by David Curiel with letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And man, I mean, like the first issue was amazing as it was. We had a bunch of uh, story that featured Celine pretty much getting rejected by the Quiet Council and wasn't allowed a seat at the table when she's one of the only mutants who can control magic or mm-hmm. has the most experience in that realm of magic. And in this book, we kind of get to see why Hope was a better decision than going with Celine. which, I mean, look, as a Celine stan, I still don't think that she shouldn't have been rejected. She should have gotten her seat like everybody else because she is powerful and a queen. But, you know, Hope is a mutant messiah, yada, yada, yada. I guess she's important. We should give her the seat at the table, too. It makes for good dramatic storytelling, It does. It's so good. And, like, that's what we see here in this issue. We get a lot of the tension between the two. We get the tension between the Quiet Council. And, you know, there's a lot of scenes here where we get to see some animosity towards Charles, some animosity towards other members. But also, give me the comic where it's just the buddy cop film version of Hope and exodus because yes. the interactions that they have in this book is, is just so much fun and just so perfect he's saying everything i want to hear and she is just being cable's daughter that's it's, it, that's the simplest way that i can put it like it's perfect our third pick of the week is hey guess what also a mutant book it is a Ooh. trifecta for krakoa this week because our third book is wolverine number 21 I think we also picked Wolverine number 20 last time. Um, mm-hmm. You know what? doesn't matter. Not sorry. Not sorry at all. Because this issue brought to us by Benjamin Percy, writer, uh, art by Adam Kubert, colors by Frank Martin, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And it continues to be so freaking good. It's got Wolverine and Deadpool just being ridiculous at each other, around each other. I, I'm like, now this has proven to me like I need... I need Benjamin to write more Deadpool. I need mm-hmm. Deadpool all over. I need Adam to continue being friggin' Adam Kubert, one of the greatest of all time. This this issue just continues to solidify how much I adore his work so much. There's the opening two pages have this framing structure around them where you see the panels are done in a way that look like stained glass windows almost, mm-hmm. but not... the. They look like the way stained glass windows are shaped, but not the actual stained glass, if that makes sense. And it's got Wolverine and Deadpool running and getting shot and shooting each other and slicing each other and getting handcuffed and all the stuff. Then the the text pages that, you know, give us the summation, the credits and all that stuff is all scribbled over by Deadpool. Um, He gives himself the head of X title. Yes. Which I I thought was so good. I died. It was so funny. It was so great. Um, We also get appearances in here from Blind Al, who appeared in the previous issue with a little reference to something I was, I'm I'm excited for them to follow up on. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get to see Weasel, who previously had been trying to kill Deadpool, and um, it does follow up on character beats from that. We get Maverick, who's been playing a really cool part in all these stories in Wolverine for a while. And just the Deadpool Wolverine of it all is something that, shines it shines Mm -hmm. so brightly in this storyline i also we mentioned adam kubert and there's a panel that's not a panel because adam often just says panels i don't care about your stupid panels and he just breaks tradition and forges ahead in new ways of telling stories 
So he's got borderless panels, one, two, three, four, five, six of them that cascade around in, in like a uh, like a slithery shape. Mm-hmm. But then the top left corner of the page is a shot of Deadpool from profile and Wolverine straight on. But it's one of those optical illusions where you look at it and you can see Wolverine's face straight on. But then if you shift your eyes a little bit you also see that deadpool's there it is it's just masterclass and like i can't take it man no I just and then a couple pages later you get this beautiful double page yes. battle spread of wolverine and deadpool fighting and then you go after that and it's this incredible single page splash of wolverine standing there smoking uh bloody and his claws popped in cursing holding a smoking uh, as in his body is like giving off heat it's not like he's lighting up it's very much like he's on fire thank you yes good good clarification uh amidst a a pile of dead bodies and near dead bodies it is funny it is brutal it is twisty and turny and full of betrayals and reveals i love this book so friggin much Right. It is award season here on this episode because we got to give out awards. We got to talk about awards. We got to get into all of it. So, Jasmine, what is this week's award? Woo. All right. This week we are giving out the Time to Make Some Mutant Jelly Award. Mm. Yes. It's a good one. And I know some of y'all who listen like to guess what book it is. Yes. The thing is, there are seven mutant books this week and 20 books total so there's almost i i don't imagine anyone will will just guess it by guessing it no i also don't want anyone to assume that it comes from a mutant book right which, which is why i say there's 20 books in total so yeah. like your odds of of getting it are you know one in 20 right obviously but right. still not good um So the fun part of it is, if you're just joining us, if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest and use hashtag Marvel's pull list and let us know it is okay to read on the show. Uh, Or you can email us at pull list at Marvel.com. Again, let us know it is okay to read on the show, whatever your message is, even if you're just sending us the picture. If you're among the first, I don't know, maybe something cool will happen. We'll see. I make no promises. Yeah. Our winner last week was Karis Pollard again. Mm, two in a row. A champ. Yeah, no, she's a champ. Yeah. And um, that that was the I Bought a Gold Toilet Yesterday Award, which was in Captain America Symbol of Truth number one. Karis was the first one to tweet at us and find it right away. Um, I love that she was like, I didn't expect to find it in this book. And I'm like, yeah, me neither. <laughs> me neither. But yeah. it's in there. Shout out to Tochi for a previous guest on the show coming up with the line. Perfect. It's, it's great. It was um, a great one. Yeah, I'm calling Karis the pride of Britain now for winning two weeks in a row. <laughs> uh, she's earned it. Uh, also want to shout out Mark Orenberger, who uh, let us know via email he got his. And Mark mentioned his comic shop, which is Kapow Comics in Sherwood, Arkansas. Good job for trying to get it real quick. You were you were definitely they're among the first mark mm-hmm. again good work on that one and and yes shout out to kapow comics uh we want to hear all your local comic shops everybody everybody please we also got a message from m dot at m dot mtg who says i just started listening to marvel's pull list and it's awesome i've only been into comics for about a year but right now i am super into them thanks for making a great show that i am excited to keep up with weekly thank you yeah M-dot. thank you yeah We have an email in here from Matthew Martinez, who says, I found your show right during the early months of the lockdown, and y'all and Tucker gave me hours on hours of entertainment. You also helped me craft my pull list and have sent me down some great paths. Most recently, I've been getting into Dark Rain, which has been on my watch list since the reading club way back with Teeny and Tom. One deep dive that I would love to hear you and your guests discuss is Jonathan Hickman's new Avengers run. I see Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars the same way that Ryan talks about Infinity Gauntlet. And all of the 33 Illuminati-focused issues leading up to it have a ton of great art, great moments that I would love some insight into their creation. The first example that comes to my mind is Doctor Strange taking down the entire Great Society in the most brutal way possible. Thanks for all you do. 
That's a great suggestion. That's a huge and amazing suggestion. I love that run. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last, we have a real quick. We have a DM from Ryan Doze who responded to me on Instagram about pronouncing his name correctly. I got it right on first shot. So boom, really excited about that. But also he wanted to let us know that he enjoyed our conversation with Jason Aaron last week. And he says that he's actually going to be on his show. He's got a podcast that's covering the Mighty Thor run. He said that he was super nervous to talk to one of his heroes, one of his creative heroes. But our chat with him was so delightful and fun um, that he is super excited now. And he wanted to let us know that we rock. So thanks. You know what? We do rock. You know what? I agree with you. Good job, us. We should probably talk about these fabulous fresh floppies this week. To remind you, this week's award name is the Time to Make Some Mutant Jelly Award. All right. It is time to dish out that award and talk about all the new comics of the week. Again, reminder, there are 17 more comics for us to talk about. So we are going to go through them a little bit speedier than we may normally. So bear with us as we dish out the Time to Make Some Mutant Jelly Award. Yeah, all right, ready? First up, we have Electra Black, White, and Blood number four. And okay, there are three stories in this book, um, one by Peach Momoko, one by Kevin Eastman. But the one that I want to give my time to make some Mutant Jelly Award to is The Powers You Can't Comprehend by Matthew Rosenberg, who's going to get this award because it's Electra versus Ghost Rider. Enough said. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Eternals number 12 this week, which brings back Isad Rubik onto the book alongside Karen Gillan. And they're really, they are just going deep into setting up Axe, aka uh, Avengers versus X-Men versus Eternals, Judgment Day, which is coming up. I am going to give my time to make some Mutant Jelly Award to some shirtless big boys in this issue. Ooh. Two of them. We got Namor, who's shirtless in a hot tub, which is where I want to see him. And then... Big, shirtless, purple, Thanos looking so fine, looking so cool, looking so scary. Like, and kind I look of bubbly, at that, just like, if, you, if you, know, you ask me. Ooh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Y'all, read the book. Yes. It's a, it's a humdinger. Yes. Next up, we have Fantastic Four, number 43, and I adore this book so much because Dan Slott pulls a character from his like backlog, from like his history with Marvel, from Avengers Academy, and I was so happy to see it. One, because he was a character that uh, I kind of hated because he was mean to some of my favorite characters uh, in Avengers Academy. But two, because he pulls at a thread that he created, like what? When was Avengers Academy? 2006, 2007? We're talking almost 10 years ago. It was a a character that wasn't a big deal. It was just a small little character um, and a sidekick that get brought back in this story. And it was just fascinating to see that. So he will get my time to make some Mutant Jelly Award. Hell yeah. All right, we've got Iron Fist number three out this week. I'm going to split my time to make some Mutant Jelly Award between, one, a design choice for a demonic character in here. I've never seen a character have a horn coming out of their eye socket. It just looks so friggin' cool. That's one. And then two, the other half of the award I am giving to a wonderful appearance by some other immortal weapons. Of course, it's an Iron Fist book and uh, Iron Fist lives among some immortal weapons. We see some of them in this issue. Next up, we have Marvel's Voices Identity Number 1, which has about four stories, including a couple different interviews um, that were conducted by Angelique Roche, who helped put together this book. Uh, She is the host of Marvel's Voices. And I want to give my award to... Emily Kim, Ricky Yagawa, and Sebastian Chang, because they tell a story called While You Were Out that highlights why Wong is important um, to the MCU and why he is a vital character in a Doctor Strange story. Like, oftentimes we get to see this braggadocious Strange, and he talks about all the stuff that he's done, and we never really get to see what Wong does. We always think that he's on the sidelines, but he's not. And this story really shines a light on that. All right, up next is the Marvels number 10. And I think this is the issue where like it all starts to like coalesce for me. I was like, I'm jamming on this. I like the interactions between all the characters because it's got a huge cast. It includes like the Golden Age Vision and Iron Man, Black Cat, Captain America, and a whole bunch of new characters. We also dive into these two like super weird characters that have been popping in and out in the story. But I will give my time to make some Mutant Jelly Award to the last two pages in here because I was like, what are y'all doing? I am so into this. It is bananas. I will say this. 
did you think you would see Strike Force Moratory in a comic I releasing in 2022? That. No, you probably didn't, but you got it. Did yes. you think you would see Homer the Happy Ghost in a comic in Never. Marvel 2022? No, you didn't. I know a lot about Homer the Happy Ghost because I did a whole lot of research. When I saw that, I was like, <laughs> threw up all over myself. I was like, how is this even possible? I'm so excited. So pumped. Next up, we have Savage Avengers number one. And right off the bat, I want to give my award to one of my favorite villains that doesn't necessarily appear in this book, but is mentioned and it made me hungry for more. I'm going to give my time to make some mutant jelly award to set. And you'll have to read more to find out why. I'm also going to jump in here and cover the next book because it is one of my favorites it could have been one of my picks of the week this week next up we have silk number five which is the last issue in the silk miniseries and i want to give my time to make some mutant jelly award this entire creative team like these guys nailed the landing like they told an amazing five issue story it's pretty much silk versus an ancient witch who is stealing the youth from all of these influencers on social media and They wrapped it up neatly, including a small little love story that's kind of like crumbled throughout the entire issue. And we get some resolve at the end and it's a full one. So very excited to see where this goes next. Yeah. All right. We've got issue two of Spider-Punk out this week and um, we're starting to really dive into the band in DC vibes of the book, which I'm very excited about. But I want to give my time to make some Mutant Jelly Award to Kamala who shows up in here, Kamala Khan, shows up here. Uh, her design is rad. She has a bunch of cool moments. She just feels like a Kamala that fits in with this universe, but also very much herself. I also, I love that her design includes a, a like a knuckle weapon that has Embiggen written on it, but mm-hmm. backwards so that when she punches someone, it'll say Embiggen on them because she'll hit them so hard. It'll brand them. It'll imprint on them. Freaking love that. All right, on to our two Star Wars books. I'm going to take them both this week. Uh, First up is Star Wars Dr. Aphra number 20. I'm going to just say this. I'm going to give my time to make some mutant jelly award to this book by just saying magnets. How do they work? (laughs) If you get that reference, I like you even more. Uh, If you don't, you'll probably Google it and figure it out and it'll be wonderful. And then on to Star Wars Han Solo and Chewbacca number two. And it's got Han and Chewie on this mission with... Greedo, and that's super fun. And then there's this other character who's there's a big revelation or a big question about it that's going on in this issue. I'm not going to spoil that, but I want to give my time to make some mutant jelly award to artist David Messina, who does such a great job of drawing that Han Solo look. The look where he says, Who are you calling scruffy looking? He draws that so perfectly well. Like it, there's a there's a panel in here where I was just like I felt it. I felt it. it. It was so accurate. So great job there. Next up, we have Thor number 25, which is an oversized or Thorversized issue um, that includes three <laughs> different stories. The first one is more of the Banner War saga. Uh, it's actually a fascinating chapter. First of all, two things happened in this book that blew my mind. We get to find out a little bit about what happened in El Paso, which was teased in the in the beginning of the uh, Hulk saga that Donny Cates has been building and then there's a final page reveal on that page that is bonkers like I was like ready to just go like, I was so hyped after I saw that but then what comes next is a is a short story by legendary Thor storytellers Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends with inks by Brett Breeding and colors by Matt Wilson and it's an enchantress story that takes place in the middle of their run which I thought was really fascinating but I want to give my It's Time to Make Some Mutant Jelly Award to the creative team in the last issue of this book, which is written by Nadia Shamas with art by Simone Darmini, uh, with colors by Pete Pantasis uh, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. And all I'll say is this issue and this story delivers a version of Thor wearing a wedding dress. And that's all I need to tell you for you to need to pick this book up. Love to see it. We've got Venom Lethal Protector number two out this week. This is the sort of retro classic style uh, throwback Venom book where we're following a younger Venom uh, earlier on in his career. Eddie Brock with a beautiful flat top looking super swole because he's lifting like 800 pounds in his little weird apartment. But part of me wants to give my Let's Make Some Mutant Jelly Award to cover artist 
Paulo Sequeira because holy friggin' moly, these covers are stunning. They're, he evokes the Todd McFarlane vibe mm-hmm. of Venom so well, but it feels so very modern at the same time. It just absolutely gorgeous. I'm, I'm just going to give my award to all the villains that show up in this issue, or I should say all the antagonists that show up in this issue, especially one of my faves, Hydro Man. I love the best supervillain whose real name is Morris in all of comics, yeah. maybe. Also looking kind of bubbly in this issue. Yeah, I see what you did there again. Next up, we have Wolverine patch number two. And I'm going to give my It's Time to Make Some Mutant Jelly Award to Larry Hama because it's another patch story in Madripoor. But the thing that I find fascinating is that it's not just one scene in Madripoor. He takes us on a whole trip of Madripoor, not just Hightown and Lowtown. We get to see a lot of what this world looks like and the people who inhabit it and just weave such an extraordinary and like intricate story together. Also, so much savagery in this issue, like (sighs) makes you really terrified to see Wolverine hiding in the bushes. All right, we've got excellent number three. This, you know, I'm going to give my Let's Make Some Mutant Jelly Award to the creative team of um, Peter Milligan and Mike Allred, Laura Allred, and them because this is a continuation of the satire of superheroes and mutant kind and celebrity and all that stuff. But I found myself so absorbed and wrapped in the story that like by the end, I was like into the characters, into the drama in a way that I didn't think I would be because I, I look at it as like, oh, seeing the, the commentary that they're making and poking the fun and having fun with these tropes and these characters. But at the same time, they did it so well while making me feel the way you want a person to feel when they read these stories. So great job to them. Yes, they're real good. Yes. Also want to highlight um, the three characters that they introduce in this issue because they are hilarious. Um, we have Stripe Girl, who has the power to control striped objects. And, and there was like a she has an addendum to it, too, which made me crack up so, so much. But then there's Fluff as well, who has the power to control all the lint and fluff that kind of builds in people's belly buttons. And last but not least, Girl Joe, who is a respected social and political vlogger and influencer who has a broad following in the queer slash pan non-normative and cisgender community, which it's so funny because the person who is saying this isn't Girl Joe. It's the leader of the ecstatics team. When it's brought up by Girl Joe, Girl Joe's like, wow, you're really like down with the terminology. And then he's like, yeah, I'm trying to be sensitive these days. He's like, right on. And it's just like, they just move on. It's just like a very funny, like aside that is just, has nothing to do with the story, but it's just like, oh, okay, cool. Let's move on. It's pretty good. My next book is X-Force number 28, which is terrifying. If you read the last issue of this book, you know that there's a new villain organism thing that's hunting down some mutants. And we get a lot more of that. And I want to give my time to make some mutant jelly award to Robert Gill and Guru EFX for delivering some of the most gruesome death scenes I've ever seen in a comic book, especially this one. My poor girl Lorna for going down in the count of all these other mutants. God bless resurrection. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to say. Last new issue this week is X-Men Red number two. It, it is a doozy. It's got yes. big Al Ewing energy because he's the writer. It's got Vulcan in here in some really cool ways that if you have been reading the X books for the last couple of years and you go back to Jonathan Hickman's X-Men stuff, he did a story where some stuff happened with Vulcan a couple of years ago. And I was looking through that for another thing recently. I was like, Oh, and now they're they're picking back up and paying off some stuff, and it's really cool. But ultimately, I'm going to give my time to make some Mutant Jelly Award to the Queen, the Goat, Storm. There's a page in here where, one, she's in her new Brotherhood outfit, this, so this Iraqi outfit, and she goes one-on-one with Vulcan, who is also exceptionally strong, who has ruled parts of space, and she grabs him by the throat and just dresses him down, then just basically drives lightning into him, tosses him down. She says, you speak of a fire that burns inside you, a flame dancing in the wind. Inside me, child, is the hurricane. No thrones on Arako, Emperor. Pass it on. Drops it down. And I was just like, flip a table. Oh, hell yeah. Storm is the best. When, they, so- when someone gets Storm and they write her like this, I am all in. If you love Storm, this is a book you have to be reading right now. Whew, we did it. Those were Woo. 
the last of our 20 new comics on sale this week. But if you are a Marvel Unlimited subscriber, you, of course, have even more. This week is exceptionally fun because there is a new story in X-Men Unlimited, the Infinity Comics series, and that one kicks off in issue number 35. It's got Maggot in there. It's by Alex Pacnadel and Julian Shaw, so check that out on your app. Alongside issue 2 of Patsy Walker, issue 6 of Alligator Loki, and some Ms. Marvel vertical comic adaptations of the classic no normal story also coming to mu are a couple digital comics including maestro uh, world war m number one which is the first in that new series we get devil's reign number four as well as the secret x-men number one by teeny howard and crew and you have to pick that book up because it is so good it's a one shot and it sets up so much for what's going on in the mutant world yeah, there's so much going on, and that, that ties into Marauders, but the broader Krakoan story mm-hmm. at the moment. Also X-Men Red. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All over the place, uh, lots of stuff on collections. If you're going to your comic shop, you want to pick up some collections. There's a Dazzler Masterworks that you definitely want to get your hands on, of course. A whole bunch of Conan the Barbarian, Savage Sword of Conan stuff, and a She-Hulk by Peter David Omnibus. Mm X-Men Follow the Mutants Omnibus. We are omnibus crazy these days. Yeah, there's so much. All right. That is a lot of stuff for us to get you excited about. But guess what? There's even more because it is time for our reading club. Once again, Jasmine, who are we talking to and what are we talking about? We are talking to fellow Wisconsin Knight. Matt Forbeck, uh, who is the writer and designer of the Marvel Multiverse RPG Playtest Rulebook. We're going to be talking to him about the death of Captain Marvel, which is excited. I'm excited to talk about it, but I know how heavy it is. So prepare yourselves. A warning, we we talk about cancer and, and, you know, the loss that that means to people and, and how that affects a lot of people. So if that's something that you are sensitive to, just know that that's a deep part of our conversation. On top of exciting, fun, happy comic stuff and just gushing about great comic books. All right, let's start that interview right now. Jasmine, get excited because we're going to talk about death today on our reading club because we are joined by Matt Forbeck, who is the writer and designer of the Marvel Multiverse RPG. Hello, Matt. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Hi, Jasmine. Good to see you, too. How's it going? I'm having a good time. It's another lovely day here in southern Wisconsin. So what else could you want in the world? Matt, it is an exciting time because we have recently just had the release of the Marvel Multiverse RPG, which um, you've been working on for quite a while. For our listeners who maybe don't know everything about it just yet, can you please tell us what that project is? Sure. Uh, This is the Marvel Multiverse role-playing game playtest rulebook. Which is, okay, so a role-playing game is something like Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, if you played Cops and Robbers as a kid. Uh, It's a game that tells you how to, everybody gets to take on the role of a certain character. In the Marvel game, of course, you're allowed to take on the roles of all the fantastic classic Marvel heroes that we have, both old and new. Um, But it's it's a wonderful kind of game where you just basically sit around a table and tell stories with your friends, right? Uh, we came out with a playtest book that's 120 pages, 999. Uh, that's on sale right now through uh, wherever you get your comics and games. And also there's uh, digital partners at Demiplane and Roll20, where you can actually play stuff online through them as well. Uh, this is all in preparation for our big release next summer, which is going to be in 2023. We're going to have the core rule book, which would be like a 300, 400 page massive hardcover full-colored tome you could drop on your foot and have to walk away with crutches with. So uh, <laughs> we're pretty excited about this. It's going to be a lot of fun. But the neat thing about it right now is that because it's a playtest rulebook, if you get in on it right now, you can actually give us official feedback. If you go to marvel.com slash RPG, you can go and find a feedback form and tell us how we screwed it up. And, you know, you can even try to tell us what we did right, too, which would even be better as far as I'm concerned. So uh, and we'll have a lot of fun. We're trying to make the best game we possibly can so that everybody can enjoy playing it next year as well. I have I have some immediate feedback. I haven't played it yet, but I, yes. I flipped through the pages of the playtest book and noticed that Frogman is not a playable yes, character. Yes, this is clearly an oversight. <laughs> yeah, so um, just make sure you correct that. Well, because we had only 120 pages, we had to limit ourselves pretty 
strictly to what we could put in. And Fair. so literally when uh, the, when I saw the cover of the of the game, of the book that we just produced, I said, well, the people who are on the cover, they're going to be in the game. Everybody else, we don't have space for. So unfortunately, Frogman didn't make the cover. But uh, when we actually do the massive game, we should have like 50 or 100 or more different characters in that. We're going to add more characters with every book we come out with, too. That's awesome. Now, who knows? Maybe Frogman will get his own book. That'd be pretty cool. Ooh, fingers crossed. It's very good. I'm sure we'll talk more about the RPG project as uh, as the episode goes on. But, you know, we wanted to have you on here because we know you got your bona fides for, for Marvel. You've worked on Marvel projects before. You are um, a lifelong Marvel fan. Is that correct? Yeah, I started out reading on Spidey Comics when I was like three years old, right? And that was the the uh, comics they did in conjunction with The Electric Company, which was the show that came on after Sesame Street, which is no longer a show. But uh, it was this great thing where Spider-Man actually was, then appeared on The Electric Company TV show. So it was a guy dressed up in a Spider-Man suit who kind of slink along and do funny stuff. And then this guy, Easy Reader, would come out and introduce him. And it turns out many years later, I realized this, that Easy Reader is actually Morgan Freeman right? The voice of God introducing <laughs> Spider-Man to, to children everywhere. So, uh, but yeah, I, I was a huge reader from way on. I've done, uh, I worked on Marvel Heroes Battle Dice for Playmates Toys. I worked on a couple different Marvel MMOs for dialogue scripting. I wrote two editions of the Marvel Encyclopedia. I wrote an Avengers Encyclopedia, a couple Captain America books, all sorts of stuff. You know, I, I'm a big Marvel fan from way back. All right, let's get into the reading club a little bit because we are talking about a seminal classic of one of the all-time great Marvel stories, but one I'm not sure everybody like who was like maybe a current reader will have read as part of their thing. It, I used to work at Wizard Magazine, so it was like one of those things where you know this was sort of a required reading thing. And when we talked about it, so we're talking about the death of Captain Marvel. Matt, when did you first encounter this story? I actually read it when it came out, right? I was like 1982, I was in high school and I went and bought a copy because uh, there was so much buzz about this at the time. The story aside, the fact that Marvel was suddenly starting to do graphic novels, because I believe this was the first official graphic novel that they did, right? Uh, they usually actually number them. This is Marvel Graphic Novel 1. And, you know, uh, this is it before we had... one published by Marvel because they did do a Silver Surfer one before, but it wasn't right. Marvel who published it. I think exactly. it was Simon Schuster. Exactly. Good point. So, but it's, uh, this is before we had stuff like, you know, Dark Knight and Watchmen and all these other great graphic novels of, you know, Mouse, all these things have taken form over the years and to have one of the largest publishers, well, really the largest publisher of comic book art at the time, step up and say, yeah, we think this is actually viable. We think we should be doing stuff of a longer form. Uh, that was really a gutsy move on their part, I think, you know, and, uh, to give it to Jim Starlin and have him do what is, you know, arguably one of his best works, period, right? That encapsulates a lot of the stuff that he's done uh, before and since. It was just amazing to be able to go and read that. I was like, here, take my money. I was doing some research on this because I was also very interested in finding out why Jim Starlin did this story because he was, at that time, wasn't working for Marvel. But Marvel essentially made a deal with him and was like, hey, like if you come back and we want to kill this character off, like if you come back and write the death of this character we'll let you essentially do your creator-owned comic uh, that would eventually come out on, through Marvel's Epic line, um, which I thought was really fascinating. And he was just like, sure, like, I'll just, I'll just, you know, have him blow up in a building and then walk away and then, like, do my own thing. But it ended up becoming a lot more, from what it seems like, a lot more uh, therapeutic and, like, much more of a thought-out process for him than he, I think, anticipated at first. Yeah, in your research, you you, you note that um, that Jim's father passed due to mm -hmm. cancer, and so you could see how personal this story is. And you know, I I've read this story half a dozen times over the years. It's one of those I, I have my original copy somewhere, and I couldn't find it, which is really upsetting to me because it's it's one of those books that you know I really treasure. And I was just like choking up. Even still, I knew every beat and every moment, and there's just such a beautiful sadness to the story um, that I was, it, it got me again. This was my first time like actually reading it, which is crazy to me because people tell you it's a must read. Like if you're a comic book fan, you have to read it. The way that this story is told is very personal. It's, it's pretty clear because he could have done it in any other way. And like similar to Ryan, I mean, you put me onto the squadron Supreme and like 
Mark Grunewald's work there. And like this story reminds me a lot of that, where it's essentially like, let's take this big, big concept of death and dealing with death, but dealing it with it in like a more realistic way and how a superhero would essentially try to solve it. And not just one superhero, but like, let's get the entire Marvel universe to try to cure cancer or like, or how would you fight a disease? You know, like it's not something you can punch back at. Exactly. I mean, this is death as most people actually encounter it, right? I mean, most of us don't have to worry about being lanced through with a laser or being punched into a mountain or anything like that. We deal with our friends and family dying of horrible diseases. So uh, to see Jim just wrestle with that so well. And again, it's it's one of those things like, well, in a world where you have flying cars and amazing people can do these incredible things, we still have cancer. We still have these horrible diseases that affect people. How does that work when it affects a hero, right? Not just some person on the street that you're, you know, not just your aunt or your uncle or your father or your mother or whatever, but, you know, a hero that you've seen in one of these fancy costumes. And it really grounded it in a way that I don't think you'd seen a lot of before. So it was really incredible right. to see that. Very mature for its time. Right? Definitely. The Death of Captain Marvel uh, graphic novel is written and drawn by Jim Starlin. It's colored by Steve Olaf, lettered by James Novak. And this is during the uh, period where Jim Shooter was editor-in-chief. So a lot of our 80s comics that we've talked about, Jasmine, are, like fall under the Shooter era, and they're just mm -hmm. some damn good comics. But we open in this one, in this story, with Marvel podcasting. And he's I know. essentially right. Yeah. Yes. No, no, the minute I read the first page, I was like, why hasn't this been adapted into like an audio drama? Like it's so easy and right for it because it is like him just kind of monologuing and talking about, you know, his adventures and what's going on and really setting up this whole book. To that point, I think it's interesting because Marvel as Captain Marvel is a character we really will never see in prominence. Because we have the amazing Captain Marvel of Carol Danvers. We've had a great legacy of Captain Marvels with Monica Rambeau. And even Genus Vell has had some really great stories. But this story, the death of Captain Marvel, is so important. It's like you got Uncle Ben. You got, at one point, you had Bucky. And you have Marvel. They found a really great way to tell that Bucky story of him returning. But I don't know that... You can do Marvel. Mm -mm. Bucky dies, you know, he dies in the middle of an adventure and it's this heroic thing or whatever. But it's like, oh my God, he's gone and you move on, right? And it, it, it's one of the reasons you hate all the upcapsuled adversaries. But with this, Marvel dies in such a, a profound and drawn out and, and dramatized way that it seems like it would cheapen it to bring him back, right? And they, they brought back his like his body in a few places. You, know, you just had uh, scenes of him you know, over the years where he's made very short appearances. But but yeah, I don't think they'll ever bring him back entirely because there's no really need to, right? He's just such mm -hmm. a great character as he is right now without actually having to do anything else with him ever again. Yeah, and I like what you said too, where if it's like we did bring him back. Like it is a little bit of a cheapening of this story. And I find it interesting because, I mean, book is now what? 30, 40 years old? 40 years old. I mean, like, the thing I love about comics is the same reason why I love hip-hop is that, like, everything is built on what came before, and we respect what comes before. And just knowing that there's been 40 years of comics writing where people were like, no, 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 we're not touching that. Like, we respect, like, <laughs> exactly. what, what was accomplished in that story and why that story is so important. And rather than, like, trying to find a way to bring him back, we're finding newer ways to tell those types of stories without having to bring him back. Um, yeah, it's actually turned 40 years old in January. Of this wow, year, so. amazing. There's so many things about this book that I want to talk about. Part of it, you know, as you flip through, it is, of course, a story on death and grief and um, someone coming to terms with their own death and, and their loved ones and everything. But with that being said, there's, there's a lot of silence in this story. Um, and I think Jim does a, a great job of letting it breathe. Um, which, of course, having uh, an original graphic novel, a longer page count, um, sort of a not tied to a monthly continuity, something a little bit different, it gives him that opportunity. But to take it and not worry about having to put a, a fight scene all over the place, but allowing him to just, you know, draw uh, Mentor and Eros, uh, Thanos' father and brother, respectively, just looking at times or have... You know, Marvel just stare off wistfully. It's 
there's something really special to be said about having those opportunities to let let the characters express themselves in in ways that you don't have to say ah and and he looked off you know whatever it's just yeah let it happen and then you absorb it yeah it's an amazingly dense book too i mean there's so much going on in it i mean uh, there's a lot of places where, where starlin's using like 12 panels a page right just cramming so much in there and not just dialogue, but the artwork. And it, like you say, it, even though the panels are a little bit smaller, he lets them breathe, right? The, the way the characters are moving, the way their faces look, the way they're reacting to stuff is great. He's also got some splash pages that have got just so many characters on them. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, and some of them are like montages almost that you, it's a comic book equivalent of a movie montage where it's like you know, all these different things happening at once. There's a silent page, going back to what you were talking about, Ryan, uh, where he has to tell his, like, essentially his girlfriend, his partner, Alicius, that he's dying, and it's completely silent. And it's just them two on a park bench as a mentor, like, overlooks it. And it hits so hard when I read it, because if you've ever had to deal with, you know, a, a friend or someone close to you passing away, like, you know exactly what feelings they're feeling. You can just feel it as your your eyes are gliding across the page that's just the jim starlin's like art style like it is his body language like the body language that we see both in captain marvel and elysius is just devastating and it's it's almost like this tug of war of like you don't know who to like i guess sympathize with more the brilliant part of that is that there's no dialogue and what you do as a reader is your head fills that in right mm-hmm. i mean dialogue would almost cheapen it because it's such this this painful terrible moment and to actually put words in their mouths when you people can just fill it in with their heads it's like the spaces between panels right you don't actually have mm-hmm. to see those spots they just happen and that's where the magic in a comic book happens is when you go from one panel to the other and your head fills in the, the details he does that without any dialogue there and it's just stunning just great stuff yeah and in particular i i'm always i, I can picture the panels of Alicia's sitting there and then she starts to move and then by the end, she's got her arms wrapped around her knees. Mm-hmm. You know, like you could draw this page in uh, a thousand different ways. But to see someone who she starts out so open and, and oh, look, it's, you know, it's Marvell. And then they, they get closer. And her body language, as you were saying, Jasmine, her body language moves and you feel that sad anxiety. It's like that anxiety, anxiety that, yeah. that grief, like she's closing in on herself. And it's, it's damn good. It's yeah. just mm-hmm. damn good. And those panels are juxtaposed with mentor watching them as this happens, right? And then realizing as you know, he starts to turn away throughout the entire thing and, and he just disappears. He's like, I can't be part of this moment. It's just heartbreaking for him, right? And to yeah. give them their, their moment of privacy there. And you feel like almost like you're giving them their moment of privacy as a reader at that moment, right? Just really well. Absolutely. The reason why, like, I think I, I fell down a rabbit hole of like researching this, this story was because there are so many different ways that grief is dealt with in this book and you see it throughout like the entire story like different characters respond to it differently they you know are are trying to either make the best of the last moments or are like afraid to talk to him or like it it felt very real moving on to the next part of this book we look at the next section where it's captain marvel having to tell rick jones who's like his close friend and at one point partner and you see how Rick Jones, at first he starts like denying it and then he's trying to bargain. That also felt very real. And those are two different stages of grief that we didn't get with uh, Elysius, at least. Yeah, that anger that Rick has at him and shows at him just blaring out of him is just fantastic. And, you know, then they managed to come to their, uh, their reconcile toward the end. Right. And it's just a magic moment. Right. It's the kind of thing, even though it's a hard story. Yeah, I know. I mean, even though it's a hard story to read, uh, he gets the beats that you want him to have, right? He gets the ending that you want him to have. And it, it, because Jim does such a great job building up to that and laying the track for that, that when uh, Rick comes and and apologizes at the end, you're like, oh, geez, you couldn't have hoped for better for him at that moment, you know? Um, I want to backtrack real quick because there was a, a just a thing I, I noticed as I was staring at a page, and it is establishing page in space of, of Thanos's uh, ship that is seemingly mostly abandoned. They go back to check it out. It's Marvel and Eros and Mentor, um, but there's these establishing shots in space. And looking at it now, I'm like, 
wow, this is, there's so many like Mobius vibes on this page, the shapes and the vibe and the, like even the gruddiness, that seventies cool comic book, European spacey techno futuristic vibe comes across here in, in some really cool ways. Of course, Jim was doing this for ages, but it has a very specific look and it's so dang detailed. No bit of the background is like wasted at all. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, funny, one of the things I look at this and see the, the coloring is really of its time too, right? And to see this kind of middling stage here before we got into full on computer generated coloring, it's it's kind of beautiful in its way though. I mean, it's because uh, Olaf goes in there and he's doing it by hand, right? Yeah, uh, he's using a watercolor wash. It's just you know, beautiful stuff. We're talking about the scene that sets up the whole book, right? Where we see Eros and Mentor with Captain Marvel entering a, a seemingly abandoned Thanos ship. And like in that ship, like I didn't, I'm just now realizing what Jim Starlin did, but he pretty much like, it, it's a parallel, like Thanos is dead. And like you have all these supporters who are like still trying to grapple with that, whether it's people who are in denial about him being dead or like trying to like come up with ways to maybe he's going to come back or like they they don't want to accept it. They're bargaining they're offering rituals, things like that, where it's like, it's very much the same thing, but just the other side of the coin, which I think is very fascinating. Yeah. It starts out on a graveyard ship essentially. Right. And then it moves into the the very meaningful death of Captain Marvel at that point. Uh, And, you know, Thanos, when he dies, I mean, it's always this amazing, like, Oh, the heroes finally get him and they knock him to pieces and whatever he gets killed, he's turned into stone, whatever. Uh, but it's, it just doesn't have the emotional resonance that you have. I mean, it's a different kind of thing, right? It's, you know, you root for the guys who are beating him up as opposed to you're not thinking about, oh, what's Thanos going through at this moment, right? You're, but when you get to Marvel doing it, it just, uh, just shoots right through you. It's amazing. One of the things that I always think about when I think about the story is the conversation that Mentor and Marvel have when Marvel gets his official diagnosis, you know, before that he's like, I have no secrets from my body. I've got this cosmic awareness. I know what's going on. I'm wrestling with it. If you want to put these tests on now, it's like, let's talk about it. And, you know, mentors like we on Titan call it the inner decay. You Cree have named it the blackened earthmen call it cancer. And it's just like the, the idea that this is this immutable force throughout the universe is something that no one can overcome. No one can get past and every culture has a name for it, and it's it is now affecting them in a way that they have no control over. They're essentially gods, right? And they cannot get past this. And going on that same note, like meanwhile, Rick Jones is also like you know after he gets told by Captain Marvel, he goes to the Avengers. He goes to you know Avengers Mansion. He gets the smartest people, you know, in the Marvel universe together, and it's just like all right, let's cure cancer, guys. And even they are like, we may be the smartest people on Earth, but like. No, it's something that like we just can't do. Um, and in this room, we have everybody from Hank Pym to T'Challa to Beast. And I distinctly remember just like wanting to yell at the doctors like they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't and it's just like I, I can't like they're doing their best. But it is a visceral like feeling like you're just like you're you're willing to just give up right now. Like you don't know how to do this. You can't fix this. Like, how dare you? Like, what's wrong? Like, Is the paycheck not big enough? Like you try to come up with all of these different reasons as to why, you know, why is there failure see? happening right now? Why is this? Right. My dad actually went through this. My dad uh, was had this thing called amyloidosis. He had a heart condition, basically, and it was killing him. And uh, he it was a patient at a hospital in Milwaukee. And they said, what you need to do now is go home and die. Make your peace with your family, right? Take Enjoy your last moments. And he's like, screw you guys. So mm-hmm. he actually got a, uh, my sister Kim got him uh, back into the amyloid clinic at the Mayo Clinic, amyloid department there. And they backdoored him into the heart transplant clinic. And he spent like six months on the ward there waiting for a heart and kidney transplant. And about a week before he would have passed, unfortunately, somebody came up with a heart for him, right? And now he he went back and danced in the lobby of that hospital that told him to go home and die. So, yeah. Uh, but you know, that you're like that was his argument. He's like, "You're just worried about what it looks like for your numbers." And I don't know what the truth of that is, but he was very happy to make that dance. So, that's good for him. I'm glad he could. I want to continue moving forward. There's, you know, we get to the section where mentor essentially gives him like a suit gives captain marvel a suit to wear that'll slow down some of that progress and like 
the first thing that hit me was like the first time I ever saw like any of my family members who have like you know gone through cancer treatment or anything like that was is just like you see them in the robes for the first time and it's just like oh this is a whole thing like it's not like it it felt very symbolic of that like you are now like entering hospice like you are now like here's what you're gonna be wearing from now on you see him over the table where or like eating dinner with a mentor and like he's just holding an apple and like a, a glass of wine and he's not eating you can see it in his face that he's like starting to he's gaunt yeah, he's very gaunt. And like, those are all real things. Like, you know, you start losing appetite when you're in like that first stage of and second stage of death, um, which is it just hit hard for me when I saw that rope. His line, I'm afraid I've lost too much weight to look anything but silly in it when he's talking about his Captain Marvel outfit. I just got. Uh, yeah, that was one of those one of those pieces of this story that that get that got me. It's because these are our heroes, right? These are. They, they do these things they can they can save the universe but he can't do anything now he's Mm-mm. he's almost helpless yeah and he knows this from early on i mean like you say he tells mentor that you know i i've got cosmic awareness i know i'm dying i know there's nothing anybody can do but he's determined to ride the story out with everybody and go through it just as we have to right and i mean obviously it says right there on the cover the title is the death of captain marvel they're not going to rug pull you at the end and say, no, nope, he's okay. It's all right. Fine. Yeah. Go home. Enjoy. Have some popcorn. It's going to be good. Um, so it's, it, you, we kind of go on that journey with him where it, even if you've never heard the story or whatever, you open up the first time, you're like, this is about this hero dying. And we just have to get to the end of it one way or the other. Hopefully it has some meaning throughout it. Yeah. And then there's, there's a short sequence that happens maybe two or three pages later where he's alone and you see him dealing with the pain and like, that is very important to the story because up until this point, you're like, oh, he's fine. Like, he's just, you know, he's powering through it. Like, he, he's going to survive. But just getting those moments of downtime and alone time where you see him suffering, where he describes it. Like, he's, he just, uh, he, he goes, ah, and like, pain, overwhelming pain. It burns, it tears, it twists, it bends, it kills. It kills slowly, a little piece at a time, and then fades yes, the pain comes and it goes. And it's just like, oh yeah, that's right. Like he is dealing with this. Like, and he's trying to show face and like not really worry other people. But damn, like it just, it's again, he just reminds you. It's like, that's, this is a reality. Yeah. And he's kind of, he's very Zen and centered when he's around other people or right? he's trying to show a strong face for them. Right. But when he's alone, yeah. Yeah. And then the minute that you flip that page, he punches the computer like he like destroys it because it's it's that anger like ah like I don't want this like I, you know I want I'm supposed to be stronger than this. He even starts to talk about like all the people who he's he's fought before and he's just like I can I can beat Thanos but I can't beat this like this is the way I'm gonna go like you know I should be going out in blaze of glory like and he's it's it's not it's like he's just again like dealing with grappling with the reality of it all right. And that, I think kind of foreshadows the end of the book when you have that sequence you know, after he's actually passing or while he's passing where he actually does fight things. You're like, okay, this is the ending that he wanted. This is the ending that at a level uh, we as readers want to see him battling something, right? And in the end, it's also about the acceptance of what has actually happened. So I think it's it's wonderful how Jim is foreshadowing that and kind of mirroring it here too as well. The the tragedy of of it all too, as we all the scientists and Thor are figuring out um, <laughs> what's going on, and they realize that because that the cancer has been slowed because of Captain Marvel's negabands and his powers, but at the same time, those are the very things that have prevented them from being able to make any headway into battling and beating the cancer it's like the thing that saved his life is also what's preventing them from from helping him at this point and it's like the look there's a look on beast's face that um happens where he's just this like sadness this realization this like ah no my friend yeah that's wonderfully done i also really appreciate that like when it when when jim starlin does point out what it is that caused it that caused the cancer, like he uses a specific word and uses the word carcinogen um, because he is talking about that, like that toxic nerve gas. And it could have easily just been like, oh yeah, some toxic gas. And like, he could have just walked away from it. But he like explicitly said it was a carcinogen. And I mean, like you can't not hear that word and think about like smoking and like tobacco and all the other like carcinogens that people inhale um, voluntarily that can cause cancer. And it's just like, damn, like again, like he made a very... Um, active choice there. 
Yeah. And even though he didn't realize he was going to be killed by it, I mean, he actually stopped that nerve gas that Nitro was using and he risked his life essentially to save other people. And now he's paying the ultimate price for it, you know, years later, essentially. So we get um, the page, the big, beautiful splash page of all of Marvel's hero friends, his colleagues, uh, the people who he's known over the years come to say goodbye. And it's this beautiful caption at the top. But I look at it and it reminds me of a Renaissance painting. There's yeah. <laughs> so many stories within yes. this one image. You know, you have the Avengers and Defenders sort of like at odds right in the middle with Hercules and and Hulk, Namor and Iron Man. You've got the way that Janet is uh, the Wasp is holding on to um, to Yellow Jacket. Also, Just, girl, what are you wearing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a funeral. <laughs> Put some clothes on. Come on now. Uh, like um, Power Man also, and Iron Hercules, Fist. I all say the Hercules too should put some clothes on. Put a shirt yes. on at least. Yeah, I, he can keep his shirt off. It's fine. Um, Power <laughs> Man and Iron Fist up in the back. Uh, just the way that they're they're standing, they're looking at each other. Human Torch and Spider Man. I think this time that I've read it, I've like looked at it in a different way. I was like, it's another one of those things where you could do this a hundred fifty different ways, but the way he did it is perfect. Uh, he, he actually does invest. He knows the characters, right? He knows who they are and what they're doing, what they're feeling. And he, he shows it through their interactions. Uh, and without, again, you know, there's the caption, but there's not any dialogue between the characters. Mm-hmm. And just by their body language and how they're talking to each other or holding each other or confronting each other or whatever, you can see how it all works, right? So as we get out of everybody arriving, we, you know, Marvel is, is taking a turn and there's heightened emotions and, and people that wants to come see that that one panel of Eero, the, the one sequence where Eros comes in and says, are you up for visitors? And the look of like hope on Marvel's face, even though he's he's hooked up to machines and he's he's lying in bed and, and he is very clearly dying. He says from Earth, Rick, he just wants to see his, Rick Jones. And it's just his best buddy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Rick doesn't what? show up for a couple pages, so it's it's, yeah. you know, it's like, is it Rick? No, Rick's not here. And they just cut away to something else where they're failing at the at finding another solution for him. Uh, and then you cut back and you see it's Spidey and the thing and uh, and Human Torch talking to him instead. And then later on, Rick comes in. You're like, oh, thank God, Rick made it. You know. So again, he does that fake out there. He's like, oh, he's, you're, you think you're going to get the ending you want? No, it's just going to be darker than that. But no, here he comes, and it's. It's uh, very rewarding in the end, right? You're like, it's as tough as it is to see those guys together. There's a whole bunch of moments in here. The the one the one of the last ones I want to talk about is when a couple of pages were there. All the scientists are still trying to figure it out, and then Eros comes in and says, "Marvel has fallen into a coma." And as much as Jim does all these amazing backgrounds, he also takes away the background. It's a solid color behind Eros. It's this very stark contrast panel where you are only drawn to the words and to the look on Eros's face when he has to deliver the news that this is it. This is the end. You see Captain Marvel on his deathbed um, surrounded by heroes. And it's it's the similar thing where he just mutes out every single hero. They're all just colored in in blue and shadow. And the spotlight's on Captain Marvel. But you can make out all those characters. Like, you know exactly who's on his bedside. And the last bunch of pages well, is this sequence of Marvel coming to grips with the end. We get the return of Thanos, in a sense. We get death. We get all this stuff. And it's Jim sort of putting it all together in beautiful ways. Um, sad, haunting, but terrific. And accepting. Like, he accepts... He accepts death and yeah. he, he goes out quietly. But like th- that last page where the beep, where we see the like the machine beeping and it just completely flatlines and like you don't even need to hear it. Like you can, you already know exactly that feeling and how quiet that room is. Just amazing. All the way through. And he does, Starlin just does such a great job of taking this whole metaphor of the, of the last moments of your life where you're battling against that acceptance, right? And turning it into the superhero battle, right? And, uh, and, but just giving it such meaning throughout the whole thing, right? Just the depth of there is just stunning. <sighs> Way to pick a cheerful book, Matt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Matt. You know, this is, again, it, it's not one of those things a lot of people want to talk about, but it's one of the most important Marvel stories ever told. 
right? And I just Absolutely. historically and emotionally and uh, as part of the foundation of the Marvel Universe, it really is a vital story. So I think it's great to focus on it. Although after this, I'm going to go read something a lot funnier. You know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, thank you so much. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, us doing lots more with the Marvel Multiverse RPG for uh, talking with you again as we, we get further along into this and, and hearing people's feedback on, yeah, on the project. Well, thanks for having me. This has been a pleasure. It's it's like the best book club ever with some of my favorite stories. So there you go. Yeah. Welcome back anytime. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Once again, big thank you to Matt Forbeck coming on to talk with us. I anticipate we'll be talking to Matt again. We'll be talking about the Marvel Multiverse RPG playtest rulebook and the Marvel Multiverse RPG in the future. Um, we're going to get together. We're going to do some, yes, please. some playing. Um, that's going to be super fun whenever we figure that out. If anybody out there is already playing and, and getting some games going, let us know. Curious how you're enjoying it. Uh, of course, you can go to marvel.com slash RPG for all your feedback on the playtest. That is super valuable for us. So please, please, please share it. And like I said before, we can link that out in our show notes, um, as well as a couple of other goodies that have been teased throughout the episode. So be sure to check those show notes. Yeah. All right, that is it. That is a wrap. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk-Allison. Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List senior manager of audio production and development. And Jasmine, did you get the the PDF that Brad sent around, which was the um, the Marvel Bradverse RPG playtest rulebook? I did, but I had a hard time reading it. Yeah, it, it, every page was Brad. And it was just like, there were some pages where it just said Brad in bold letters. And I was yeah. like, this isn't how you play... A, no, a tabletop RPG, and he just said, "Brad." Brad. Yeah, he's, I don't know. We need to check in on him. Mm, I don't care for that. Let him let him go down the Bradverse. <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel, your universe. <laughs>